You're listening to Living Healthy Longer by the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging. So I have been doing yoga for over 20 years now, which feels crazy to be able to say that. But um, I am from Buffalo, New York, and that's where I went to school to become an occupational therapist. And 25 years ago, there was not yoga anywhere in um, that I knew of, at least in Buffalo. And then I was very lucky and chose to move to Hawaii right after I graduated from college with a friend of mine. And moving to Hawaii we had a lot of Eastern influence in our healthcare and our medicine, which is how I kind of started to hear about yoga and yoga was much more on every corner, kind of the way it is in Colorado nowadays. But um, back then it was in people doing yoga in parks, people doing yoga in different places. And so I found yoga and um, and really started enjoying it and really feeling like it helped me so much feel better in my own body, helped me relax and not be so stressed out about things. And so I started doing yoga with different clients and I had multiple jobs in a five-year span in Hawaii. And so I used yoga with folks who were in nursing homes. So older adults, people who had had strokes many years ago or um, other injuries. And then I worked in adolescent psychiatry and I used yoga there. And then I worked in an outpatient hand therapy clinic and I used yoga there and kept seeing these really interesting, awesome results that were better than what I was getting with more traditional therapy and kind of learning that, oh, if I merged yoga with occupational therapy, I had really better outcomes, nicer outcomes with my folks and that everyone enjoyed it. Everyone could do it and it helped people for a different reason, right? The very older adult who had been very sick and the adolescent teen who, um, you know, was in a locked psychiatric institution. And so from there, I decided I really wanted to research the benefits of yoga as part of occupational therapy and for people with disabilities. And from there, I really decided, sadly, I had to leave Hawaii, which, um, was a hard decision to make. I had been there for five years and left to do a PhD in rehabilitation sciences at University of Florida, um, where I will say everyone for a long time thought it was kind of crazy and ridiculous to think I was going to study yoga (laughs) at all. Um, And now it's this really hot topic, which is funny, you know, 20-ish years later. So I feel really lucky that that's my story and trajectory because it's the reason I left the clinic. It's the reason I did my PhD and it's exactly what I get to do every day in my research and even teaching occupational therapy students. Yoga and um, integrative health is certainly woven into everything I teach on a daily basis, really. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I encourage you to take a deep breath in and let it out. Maybe unclench your jaw, relax your tongue, relax your forehead and your shoulders. Today's episode is all about yoga and what you just did there is the start of the practice. I'm talking to Professor Arlene Schmid, who is a yoga researcher who blends occupational therapy with yoga interventions to help people with chronic disabilities and diseases. 
In this episode, we discuss the basics of yoga, how to engage in a practice if you've never done yoga before, and we discuss Dr. Schmidt's research on how yoga affects chronic pain, how it helps caregivers, and a new study that will examine what happens in the brains of people with brain injury when they take part in a yoga intervention. So, one more deep breath in and out, and I hope you enjoy. I'm your host, Hannah Hallisker, and this is Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at Colorado State University. Arlene, first things first, thank you for talking to me. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to chat about yoga. Yeah, when I was looking through your publications, I noticed that yoga is the common thread. You study all kinds of different diseases and conditions, but the yoga intervention is always the common thread. And I just thought that was so cool because that's not traditionally, I think, how someone would approach research. Yeah, that's a great point. It is very much not, and it is not advised as a way to do research. Most people become something like a stroke researcher, and they do different things with folks with stroke. Um, And I worked with a lot of really brilliant women who were stroke researchers, and so that was where my first study was for yoga. But I have never been married to a population. It's definitely that yoga is the intervention, and I've tried yoga with lots of different folks including lots of older adults, um, older adults with and without a diagnosis or a disability. But yeah, it's been, um, it's kind of like jack of all trades, master of none. And so I feel like I'm constantly learning about different diagnostic populations. Um, We just finished up a study for folks with chronic pain. And so I had to learn a lot about chronic pain. (laughs) So I'm, it's, it's kind of good. It always keeps me learning about new things. And then yoga is the thing that kind of grounds me and, uh, you know, reminds me of why we're there. Right. So a good foundational question to, to move this conversation forward. What is yoga? If you're the yoga expert, the yoga researcher, what, what would you just define yoga as? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, so first yoga is over 5,000 years old and it is something that has been sustained and looks different here in America than in other places. But at its core, yoga is movement with breath and you might maintain a position through an inhale and an exhale, but you also are moving with the inhale and the exhale. And yoga is really developed to help people be in the moment and be really aware of their body and of their breath. And yoga is thought to help really reconnect the mind and the body or maintain that connection rather than kind of floating around a little bit. Um, And we know yoga is better than exercise in a single plane. So just kind of weight training or something. And it's because we think of that mind-body connection. Okay. So just a little anecdote here. My first introduction to yoga, I I was in college. So I had seen people, you know, in media, on TV and TV shows, like, you know, the stereotype of the suburban mom who goes to her yoga class while the kids are in school, that kind of thing. Um, But I took just, they were called leisure skill classes at my, my college, like just classes you took for the fun of them. 
and it was Kripalu yoga, which to this day, I don't even really know what that distinction meant, but I, I got my introduction to yoga in that class, all of the foundational poses that you use. And I just remember feeling better, like all the time. I just felt yeah. better in mind. And I, I wasn't as, you know how you can physically hold stress in different parts of your body. And I just remember I didn't feel that. And so ever since then, it's been like a regular part of an exercise plan for me. Yeah, it's so great. You know, I, I kind of had the same thing, you know, I just kind of, it was something I tried and, um, yeah, I liked it. I felt better. I felt more like less chaotic in my brain and more grounded. And, um, I still, you know, sometimes forget, like, oh, I should go do some yoga or some breath work. And when I feel that kind of crazy chaotic feeling, I know that if I just go and do some yoga, it'll make me feel grounded and be able to think more clearly. Um, and, and, uh, part of yoga is what we kind of talk about is that all yoga is based in Hatha yoga, which is that connection of mind and body and, uh, move movement connected to breath. And so any yoga that you go to here in America, the foundation of it is really considered to be Hatha. And so whether it's hot yoga or vinyasa yoga or vinyasa, it's all kind of connected in that same place. Um, and Kripalu is a really great um, place up in the Northeast, actually. It's a, um, it's a setting where I've done some different trainings and research talks and things like that, which is up in the Berkshire Mountains, which is super fun to get to go to. Well, here you go teaching me something. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what the Kripalu part meant. Yeah. <laughs> the class that uh, I took. It's a pretty fun place to be. Yeah. A really lovely place. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So... So I wonder if you can take us through just a few of the different populations and potentially some of the studies you've done, because like I said, you've studied yoga throughout all kinds of different diseases and conditions. So I think the first one I'd be interested to talk about is the one you've already mentioned, the chronic pain study. So, sure. so what, what was the inspiration for that and what were maybe some of your findings? Sure. And so we... My team and I have been doing yoga research for over 15 years now, and it's kind of one of these things that often one study leads to another study. The um, chronic pain study actually is out of a neuropathy study. So we've done a study for folks with neuropathy after diabetes. Um, and what happened is people felt so much better in so many ways. Their neuropathy got better. They were walking more. They felt better. Someone's gout went away. But they went back and they were talking to their nurse at their chronic pain center and at the chronic pain center and told the nurse about our study and how much better they felt. And the nurse actually contacted us and said, like, what can we do? Like, how can we get yoga here? And so we wrote a grant that was funded through the CSU Prevention Research Center, actually. And we provided yoga for about 80 folks at the chronic pain center um, that is now part of UC Health. And really had these amazing results for folks that had been in chronic pain for years. And, and one of the really important takeaways was we learned the pain severity didn't necessarily go away. So the pain didn't necessarily go away or get better, but the impact that the pain had on their everyday life got significantly better. And so one of the people said um, something along the lines of the pain doesn't go away, but it no longer controls me or controls who I am. And so what we've learned is 
often if you ask someone with chronic pain, like, hey, how are you? You hear their whole pain story and pain becomes their identity. And somehow yoga has helped them kind of put the pain aside. Again, the pain is still there, but it's not controlling them and it's no longer their identity. And they're able to really move on um, and kind of just deal with the pain in a better, safer way. And, and so from that study, that led us to the study we just finished, which was chronic pain that we merged yoga and self-management so that people had some additional skills to manage their pain. Because what we've learned also is you know, folks might be on so many medications and they're falling and things like that. And so we really added some, some education to help them manage their pain because the, the yoga really was helpful, but they just needed some, some information about what pain is and pain in the body is. Um, and so that's the study that we just finished up, but it really was like one study leading to the next study over many, many years. Mm-hmm. I wonder for the chronic pain study, how do you tailor yoga to people who probably are, are experiencing different kinds of chronic pain? How did you tackle that? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. It's one of the things. So in that study at the pain clinic, we let everyone in. So they have a mix of pain from, um, you know, low back pain, migraine headaches, someone who, um, had received radiation during chemo or during cancer treatment, but it had burned some internal organs. So a very different kind of pain. Um, and so that was one lesson we learned is that all pain is not created equal. And so while everyone was getting the same yoga, I would say everyone benefited. But in that yoga study, the people who benefited more was the more like musculoskeletal kind of thing. So where we're stretching the muscles, strengthening the muscles, um, enhancing joint movement and uh, joint lubrication through movement versus um, if, if it was only migraines, we would have a different intervention for those folks. Um, and so that was a lesson learned. So the next study we did was only musculoskeletal. Um, and I think everyone benefited, but it was definitely those folks with musculoskeletal just saw more benefit. They were the folks who talked about well, I couldn't get down to the floor before to play with my grandkids and now I can, right? And that doesn't, that's not a migraine. That's a really different kind of pain. So, um, but what we do is for all of our studies, um, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a trained yoga teacher and one of my colleagues also is, but we also hire yoga teachers or yoga therapists who are really skilled in that population. And then we all work together as a team to kind of talk about where we think our folks will be starting and where we want them to help, where we hope for them to end. And so we really develop programming based on the specific population, which of course is very different than a stroke research yoga study or a brain injury study is really different than a pain study. They're all based again in that connecting movement to breath and they are based in improving awareness, body awareness. Um, we do always try to include seated, standing, and floor postures, but that also is somewhat dependent on the population and what they can tolerate. Um, and, and often they can't tolerate getting to the floor at the beginning, but that's our goal for them at the end. I love how comprehensive of a take it sounds like you have on it. Like it, it's not just, you know, one size fits all. It's really like what kind of population are we about to work with and, you know, how can we design this to fit them? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, yoga is great and yoga also is better if it's a little bit tailored to their needs, um, which is challenging when you're trying to do a group intervention, but I think we've gotten pretty good at it when we have this population that we know we're trying to help out. Right. Yeah. So with this chronic pain study, I know you recently did like, um, like yoga for caregivers element to it in the sense of like, like caregiver dyads who, you know, one of them, one of the, you know, half of the dyad experienced some kind of chronic pain. Yeah. So can you talk about, yeah, yes, please correct me if I got that wrong. (laughs) Well, actually like to make our lives a little harder, actually both people in the dyad had chronic pain. So um, that is the study that we just finished, and it was really based on, like I said, that first study in chronic pain, where we learned yoga was great, but they needed some education about pain. And so we also learned that, uh, or realized, right, that people are helping other people, right? But caregivers often have significant amounts of pain because they're providing care and providing care might mean doing extra grocery shopping, but it might also mean helping someone shower or get dressed. And so it's quite a lot of work and that takes a toll on the body. And so caregivers are something like 70% likely to have chronic pain themselves. And so we developed the intervention that both people had to have chronic pain and we really developed the intervention so that they both would have improvements in chronic pain, but also within their relationship. Because we know that if you are, you know, a little bit cranky with your person, that um, your communication style might actually increase your pain, right? If you get in an argument and you get all tense, you might actually increase your pain or your caregiver's pain. And so the relationship was really a big focus of that study. And so we did really fun stuff. And this um, happened kind of before and after COVID. And so when we were doing in person, they got to do things like um, they would touch each other during yoga, like they would touch each other's hands to do um, partner poses, which I think is really powerful because they kind of could, you know, feel each other and, um, feel supported by each other. And I think that was a really nice way to add that. And it wasn't, it was very equalizing, right? So it wasn't one person doing all of the work, which is often the caregiver relationship. And so I think it really helped people on both sides of that relationship kind of respect and value each other and also kind of understand the other person's pain a little bit more and some of the other things that they might have going on, like maybe fatigue or depression that might often also come with pain. And so all of those things were part of our education and conversations. And um, then of course COVID happened and we had to move everything online and we didn't require care partners, the dyads to be in the same house, right? Because it might very well be, someone that you're helping out at another house. And so we did lose that, um, the the connection, the physical connection, but we maintained the other components about supporting each other and communication styles and things like that. What kind of feedback did you hear from the, the couples and the pairs of that study? Yeah. So we are just getting into our data now, actually. So we really did just finish it, but overall, um, so scientifically speaking, it, seems as though the dyadic intervention was feasible and beneficial. Um, And then on a more just like 
fun chit chat conversation, um, we really hear about the fact that they were able to better support each other. They kind of had maybe more tolerance for each other. They were a little more like thoughtful or empathetic with each other. Um, and they kind of, as an occupational therapist, I really value people's occupations and what they want to do. And we kind of hear them starting to talk about things that they were doing outside of yoga and going out and doing things together. Again, that was kind of the pre-COVID types of things. But during COVID, it also gave them something to do together. And we would, in OT, we'd call that a shared occupation. And so that was a really valuable thing to provide for people during COVID, right? It wasn't just watching TV together or something. It was actually doing something that was helpful for them. And so, like I said, we're just kind of getting into the data, but I think we were able to help people. Um, I do, and I think the same thing happened, though. I think that their pain severity didn't necessarily get better but their um, pain, like how pain interferes in day-to-day life got better, which is really what we were targeting. Because like I said before, we, we don't assume we can actually change pain, right? Like some bad things have happened to people's bodies um, and that might stick with them. But if we can change how pain interferes on their day-to-day life or how they identify with pain, that's a really um, big contribution that they, that they can change their day-to-day and quality of life. That's awesome. So you mentioned it just a brief second ago of, you know, your brain's probably changing when you're, you're, you have this constant yoga intervention. And so that brings me to the next thing I want to talk about is this new study that you are recruiting for where you're actually doing brain imaging for the first time. Yes. I'm so excited about this. I'm working with Dr. Jacqueline Stevens, who's also in the occupational therapy department. And um, she is this brilliant young woman who is um, doing brain imaging and checking out like what's happening when we're doing different things. So we are starting in the fall. We have received funding to do this research. Um, and it will be the first study. This is for folks with brain injury. So um, that might be a stroke. It might be a car accident. Um, but we will check out what's going on in their, brain, in their brains, which is super exciting. So folks will come to CSU and we will look at what's going on in their brains. Um, and we will be, we're really working on balance because people with brain injuries have really impaired balance often, and they're really likely to fall and we want to prevent falls. So what we will be doing is trying to understand what's going on with in their brain as they do some different movements that are related to balance and related to falls. Then they'll get eight weeks of yoga and then we'll check out their brains again. So we'll, we'll see yes or no, does their actual balance improve? And then we'll also look at what's going on in their brain to be related to the balance changes. So I'm really excited about that. Like, like you said, it's the first time that anyone is doing this in um, folks with brain injury. And in general, there's almost no imaging studies with yoga. We do know that folks who meditate have more gray matter and more connectivity within their brain. And in reality, we could all use a little more brain, right? A little more connectivity, a little more gray matter. Um, But these studies really haven't been done with the yoga and partly it's just so expensive to do brain imaging studies. And so that's partly why um, these studies haven't been done. And, you know, it's just challenging, right? We're asking people to do yoga, but also we're asking people to come to CSU, 
do some imaging. We'll ask them to put a cap on. Um, nothing is, um, uh, I don't think anything is scary or anything is a cap with some cool electrodes on their head. And we'll ask them to do some really cool, like taking different steps and things like that. So really cool stuff. Um, so if anyone is interested, they can reach out to me. Or if you know someone with a brain injury from a car accident or skiing accident or a stroke, um, we have run brain injury studies before for stroke and traumatic brain injury. And in both situations, really nice changes with things like balance, strength, range of motion, but then also depression, emotional regulation. So that idea of not crying all the time or not having outbursts all the time. So we've seen really nice changes. Now we're just adding this component of brain imaging. That's awesome. And Thanks. Yeah, we're very excited about it. That it's just going to be really interesting to see what those results are. <laughs> no, I'm really excited about it. And this will be a small study, of course, right? It's the first one, um, but it will provide us information if it's something that we should continue with or not. And I suspect we'll see some really cool stuff happening. And so to contact you, that is arlene.schmid at colostate.edu. That is me. Yes. That if you, you just Google Arlene Schmid, you find me pretty easily. There's, um, it's, a, it's an older name and so no one else has it. Yes. And we'll, we'll put your bio page in the description with this episode too. So Great. people can find, find that really, really easily. Yeah. Thanks. So, so we, we reviewed some of your studies just now and, you know, the thing that I'm thinking of is that I think the criticism people have with yoga is that it's not an effective way of exercising. And I think a lot of people look at it that way. I'm sure you've heard people say, well, that's just stretching. That's just yeah. like a fancy way to stretch. And yeah. we all have different ideas of what effective exercise is. So obviously, I mean, what would your research say to a criticism like that? And yeah. what are some of the benefits of, of, of yoga? Yeah. So I think one huge benefit is everyone can do yoga. So we have done yoga with folks who have very high spinal cord injuries, with people who have something called locked-in syndrome when they really can only move their eyes. So the benefit that anyone can do yoga, and it is so very modifiable, to me is a huge thing, right? You can't just put anyone on a treadmill and they can't just go for a run. Um, and there are different benefits, right? Cardiovascularly running is a different benefit than something like yoga. But the fact that anyone can do yoga is a huge benefit. It's also thinking um, from rehabilitation perspective, it's something that I can teach someone to do during therapy and then they can go back to their room and do it, right? They can work on their breath. They can even um, do it only in their mind and do like a mindful practice of yoga. Um, and there's still benefit to that. And it, it uses both sides of the body, which is really important for folks as we age um, and after a stroke or brain injury or multiple sclerosis. Um, and we, it kind of comes back to that definition of what yoga is, right? And it's the connection of the mind and the body. And it is the awareness of the body, which we don't really get with a cardiovascular workout or weight training. And this is not something I have scientific evidence for, but after doing yoga research for the last 15 years, something I see that we don't really talk about is what I think happens is 
a stroke or a brain injury or a car accident often actually leads to a mind-body disconnect. And people become really angry at their body because their body doesn't do what they want it to do. They become very upset with themselves because they might think, well, if I didn't get into the car, I wouldn't have had the accident. Or if I didn't eat all the French fries, I wouldn't have had the stroke. And so there's this um, anger and this disconnect. And what I think is that people cannot actually reach their full rehabilitation potential if our mind and body is disconnected. And I think I'm sure of it, really, that yoga helps that mind-body disconnect. And once people are more connected, and that might be with pain as well, right? They're angry at their body. They're, they're angry at the pain. Um, that mind-body connection seems to allow them to move forward and further enhance their rehabilitation. I, I have a guy who always pops into my head. He had a stroke. When we had done the study, it was 22 years ago he had had the stroke. And he had something called aphasia. And so he couldn't speak. And he was young when he had a stroke in his 40s. It disrupted his whole life, his family. He was very angry. And all he could say for about 22 years was, yep, yep, yep. And then he came to yoga. And after something like six sessions of yoga, I swear, he said, Arlene, shut off the lights. And everybody like, looked and cried. His wife cried. We all cried. But there's no way that, you know, three weeks or six sessions of yoga changed his brain that much. So what I think happened, it was much more him letting go of the anger, letting go of the stroke, being more okay with where he was, being more aware and reconnecting his mind and body. And somehow that allowed him to say words that he put together and made sense in an appropriate fashion. Um, and so there's no way that neuroplasticity allows for that in three weeks after a stroke from 22 years ago. So I think that mind-body connection is tremendous and just does not happen with, with running and weight training. And I love running and weight training and other forms of exercise, but I do think yoga really has a place. Um, to keep us aging in a healthy way, but also as a part of rehabilitation um, and working with folks who have been injured, who've been hurt, um, who don't have the same body that they used to have. It's a powerful case as to why we should all get off of this this podcast and go do five minutes of meditation <laughs> we really or should. yoga. We really should, yes. Yeah. Yes. So along those lines, you know, how would you recommend someone who's maybe never done yoga before to get started in a yoga practice? Yeah, it's a great question. And so, so for those of us who are lucky enough to live in Fort Collins, we actually have adapted yoga that is, um, is part of our like community exercise programming. So we can look it up online and there's adapted yoga that is provided um, pretty inexpensively. And there are um, classes for folks with multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's. And actually that teacher, her name is Jen. She's actually the teacher who's doing the brain injury study with us who will be teaching that yoga. Um, and so that is for folks who live in Fort Collins. It's quite nice. I would not recommend if you have a disability or you've never done yoga and you're older and you're really worried about your balance, you can't really just show up at a yoga studio or a gym and try to do yoga. Um, but there's a lot of stuff online. So if you look up adapted yoga 
or chair yoga. And you might think, well, chair, that's not yoga, right? I can't do standing or anything. There's some really great programming out there, though, that you can really have really great benefits while sitting in your chair and still working on your balance and strength and range of motion. And then, you know, then you can get to a place where you can start doing some standing postures. Um, I love when we can get people to the floor. So if you've done yoga, Shavasana is the last pose corpse pose where you lay on the floor and let it all settle in. Um, that is not as good in, in a chair as it is on the floor. So um, that's always kind of our end goal, but we don't always necessarily get there. And there's ways to adapt that, but that is always kind of our goal. Arlene, how many times have you done yoga and the practice was just so good that you got to Shavasana and you fell asleep? Oh God. I mean, I can't count. It's just so lovely when that happens, right? Yes. And, and then there's different styles of yoga. So something like yin yoga and restorative yoga, where you're just meant to be there and chill out and be in a posture for maybe six, seven minutes. I pretty much always fall asleep. Yeah, it's the best. Yep. Yeah. And in that Kripalu yoga class, I and I've never forgotten this, the teacher always told us, you know, don't feel badly if you fall asleep in Shavasana, because that's what your body needed. Yeah. And so it's yeah. like a very nice way to like, forgive yourself for falling yes. asleep when it feels like you're not supposed to be sleeping. Giving people permission <laughs> is really nice. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so, good. I love that. Yes. Last question of the episode. The question I ask everyone, what is your best advice for healthy aging from all that you have researched? I mean, really keep moving. Um, and, and I hope that that movement includes yoga, but I think moving, keeping, <laughs> keeping going. And so even when something, you know, sometimes we start getting a little older and some things start hurting, but I think more things will hurt if we don't move. And I once heard a great piece of advice that I love, and it is, if you want to take care of yourself when you're 80, you better take care of yourself when you're 40 and 50 and 60. And that includes movement and what we eat and do all day long. Awesome. Well, Arlene, thank you so much. I I loved talking about this subject. This was great. <laughs> thank you. I can just talk about yoga kind of all day long, so it's good. <laughs> Yes. I, I love getting to have this opportunity to chat about it. Absolutely. And I think part of it is because you're just such a delight to talk to. Well, aren't you nice? That's very <laughs> sweet. But yeah, this was fun. And um, I, yeah, I loved it. And I love talking about yoga for older adults because I do think um, people kind of think, oh, yoga is a thing where you stand on your head. And um or like you said, right, like the soccer moms kind of thing. And again, like yoga is for everyone and anyone can do yoga. There are even people who have done yoga with patients who are very sick, who have a trach and they're not even breathing on their own. And they've still done yoga because it is like that mind body be in the moment kind of thing. So we can all do it and we can all benefit from it, which is really um, lovely for us. Yes. And it's a spiritual practice in and of itself too. Yeah. really connects yeah. you, not just the mind body connection, but I feel like I appreciate my surroundings so much more. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So there's great things like mindful walking, nature walking, all of those things can kind of be couched when we're trying to be in the moment and connecting our movement and breath. It's all yoga. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank this you. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Center for Healthy Aging at CSU. Remember to follow us on social media at CSU Healthy Aging and visit our website at healthyaging.colostate.edu. We will see you next time.